Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. But how many of you are ready for the Word of God this morning? Yeah! Man, exciting stuff around here. We are wrapping up a series today that we are simply calling Waiting on Jesus. Maybe you've been in that moment of wait before. Maybe you've been in that moment that you've cried out to God, that, that you've got the situation in your life and, and you're dealing with it. And you said, Lord, you got to deal with this, God. You got to take this, God. You got to see me through this. And you find yourself just in that waiting time period. Can I be honest? That's hard. It's hard to wait. We want results and we want them now. If you don't believe that, think back to yesterday morning. Those of you that have little kids, what time did they wake up? <laughs> I am so glad that my kids are 19 and 22 now. Uh, my daughter told us, and she's normally the one that's up early and, and ready to go on Christmas. <laughs> Not the rest of the year, just Christmas. But she told us on Christmas Eve night, she said, just so you know, I'm not getting up early. We had to wake her up. Truth be told, they had to wake me up also. But it was great. We didn't start opening gifts till 9 o'clock. It was awesome. Some of you, you have kids. They weren't ready to wait. They were up at 6 o'clock Christmas morning, and they were ready to go. Why? Because we don't like to wait. But we've learned through this series, we've learned numerous things from individuals in the Bible that had to go through this wait. We discovered that there's action required on our part as we wait on Jesus. We are called by God to prepare the way for Jesus. And we saw this in the life of John the Baptist. He prepared the way for the entrance of the ministry of Jesus Christ and I wonder, in that message we challenged with this question, I ask it again today, is your life drawing people to a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I believe one or two things is happening. Either you're drawing people to Jesus or you're pushing people away from Jesus. Come on now. What is your life doing? What about your coworkers? What about your family? What about those in the neighborhood? What about that, that barista at the coffee shop that you go to every morning on your way to work? What is your life doing? What sort of impact are you making on that individual on a daily basis? Then last week, we discussed that there are times that in this way will be required to pursue with obedience, to, to push forward in what God is calling us to. We saw that in the lives of the wise men. But today I want to wrap up this series by taking a look about what happens after the hustle and bustle of Christmas. What happens after the hustle and bustle of the wait? You see, for Mary and Joseph, the trip to Bethlehem had been accomplished. They got to their destination. They got to where they were going. A place to stay had been located, and that wasn't the easiest in the world. There wasn't room for them in the local inn, so they had to find a stable to stay in. Jesus was born, and, 
angelic choir of angels appeared to a group of ragtag shepherds and suddenly they storm into town and they find the baby in the manger and the shepherds are on the scene. So now that all of this is over, what does Mary do? See, a lot of times we, we read the story and I'm going to read the Christmas story to you and I really hope that you did that yesterday morning before you even begin to open up presents and grab the stockings. I hope that you took the time to, to really discover and remind yourselves of the reason for Christmas, the reason for the wait. I want to read it to you today and just a portion of it, Luke chapter 2. Really, you go back to Matthew chapter 1 and there's some times in there and, and the book of Luke, but I just want to read the account in Luke chapter 2. And it says this, at the time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who is now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn child. She wrapped him struggling in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them in the inn. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flock of sheep. Suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there, there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Now, a lot of times, that's where we stop. That's the excitement. We just had this crazy moment when the skies opened up and the heavens rejoiced and the angels celebrating, singing and proclaiming glory to God in the highest. And we see the shepherds all excited. They run to where the baby is. One translation said they ran with haste, with an urgency. And there they found the baby. But the story doesn't stop there. It goes on to say this. 
But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. What do you do after the weights? What do you do when all the hustle and bustle is over? With all that has happened during the Christmas season and even during the wait, it's so easy for us to begin to treasure all of these other things over Jesus. Right? It's easy to treasure that gift that you received. Come on. It's easy to be excited about this thing or, or, or that thing or be concerned about this or be concerned about that. But I wonder, what are you treasuring in your life? This very first Christmas season, which, by the way, lasted nine months, Mary took the time to allow each and every moment to find a special place in her heart, even in the midst of the waits. Now, now notice this. It says that she kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. One translation says she treasured these things. I wonder what is it that you're treasuring this Christmas season? What is it that you hold on to, that you hold close to your heart? Maybe it's the good things. Maybe it's the bad things. Maybe hope, strife, joy, difficulty. What is it that you are clinging to and, and holding on to and making room for in your life? You see, whatever it is that you treasure, that's what becomes most important to you. Let that sink in for a moment. Whatever it is that you treasure in your life, that's what becomes most important to you. Now, somehow... A Christmas has changed from a simple time of the family getting together and remembering what Christ did for us, and it's turned into this hustle and bustle of shopping wrapped with uncertainties and chaos, and I wonder, where did we go wrong? We've gotten to the point and the place in life that we're distracted in the midst of the wait, could it be that we've begun to treasure the wrong things? I was sitting in my bedroom the other night wrapping gifts, and I've kind of got an a art to how I wrap gifts. I'm very specific with how I do it. I learned this from my mom, who learned it from her mom, who probably learned it from her mom. And, and I'm in the bedroom floor, and I'm using the big, long knife to cut the paper, and, and all this going on. I've got a record player playing, and it's Gene Autry Christmas, a little old-school Christmas there. And in the middle of this Christmas album, there's a lot of dialogue. And I started thinking about when this album first came out. And I looked at Chandler, who was helping me, and I'm kind of teaching him how to wrap gifts. And, and in the midst of all of that, I looked at him. I said, you know, it's kind of interesting. This album that we're listening to, when it first came out, I, I can just sense by the way it sounds that 
you would find everybody huddled around the, the radio. And as a family, they're just spending time in the midst of the Christmas waits. They're just enjoying this time together. But now what do we do? We find ourselves here and there. And at one point this weekend, in the midst of Christmas, I look across the kitchen table, and we're all in the kitchen area, and, and here we are all on our phones doing our own thing rather than just spending the time treasuring that moment. What I want you to notice is that our text says that Mary, it doesn't say that Mary simply treasured Jesus' birth. Now, that would have been important. And don't get me wrong, it's important, it's vitally important that you treasure Jesus' birth. That's a major portion of what we're talking about in this weight. But it says that she treasured these things, plural multiple, a plethora of things that she treasured in the midst of the way. So what exactly is it that Mary treasured? That's what I want to look at this morning. Three treasures that we discovered in the midst of Mary's weight. Number one is this, the assurance of God. The assurance of God. Luke chapter 1 verse 38 says this, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servants. May some of the things, is that what it says? No, 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 no. Let everything you have said about me come true. So here Mary is in the midst of this wait, unsure about what is going on, perhaps a little fearful about what she just experienced. Come on, think about that. Put yourself in Mary's place, a teenage peasant girl, and suddenly the angel of the Lord appears to you and says, fear not. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, right. But Mary began to wait with an assurance in her heart. In the midst of a world filled with uneasiness, with stress, insecurity, Assurance of the person's security in God is one of the foundational truths of the Christian life. Our assurance is not based upon human resources. It's not based upon my ability or your ability. It wasn't based upon Mary's ability or even talents, but on a confidence in the caring, loving power of God. Now the word assurance, according to dictionary.com, is this, a positive declaration intended to give confidence. And as I read that definition, I was reminded back to week one of this series. I don't know if you remember this, but we, we read from the book of Micah, one simple little verse that I believe sets a challenge before you and me, as we lean into the assurance of God. Look what Micah said in chapter 7, verse 7. He says, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. Let me pause there. As for me. In other words, Micah is making a decision for himself. I wonder, will you put your name in that? As for Chris, as for Gary, as for Luke, 
As for Lisa, we'll put our assurance in God. We'll look to God for help. Because then he goes on to say this, I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. He first off tells us what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to look to the Lord for help. I may not have all the answers, and I don't know about you, but in the waiting time, I don't always have all the answers. That's hard. I want all the answers. I want to know every detail. I want to know what's going on. I remember many, many, many years ago when I was young in ministry, this is probably 21 years ago, 22 years ago, I was at the right side of the stage. We had these little pews on the stage of the church that we called a deacon pew. Some of you remember the deacon pew. It was a little tiny short chair pew up on the stage that the pastor and, and others would sit on. And I don't know why they don't call it a pastor pew. I guess deacons used to sit on them. And I had one on my side and the, the lead pastor had one on his side. And this was kind of my area on a Sunday morning. And on a Saturday night, we had a prayer service and I came to that spot and I began to cry out to God. I'm like, Lord, I need to know. Yes. You see, I, I want to know. I said, I need to know, what's your plan? You see, God had just rocked my world. I had a plan. I knew retirement. When I graduated college, I already had a retirement plan. But I got four years in that plan, and God goes, uh-uh. Not your plan, but my plan. So here I am, I'm crying out to God, and, and he moved me out of the education system into the, the ministry realm, and I'm a pastor at this time, and I'm calling out to God, I'm like, God, what do you have for my life, God? What are you going to do, God? What's it look like, God? What's my next step? And you know what he said to me? When I'm ready to tell you, I'll tell you. <sighs> I want to know. I want to know. But what I soon realized is God would give me what I need to take that next step. Because if he would give me everything all at once, it would have scared that 24, 23-year-old boy. Right. Now, some of you are 23 and 24, you're like, I'm not a boy, I'm a man. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> it would have scared me to death. If, if he would have told me back then, when I was early in ministry, that I would be in a church and that church would grow from 65 to 300 plus at one location and launch another location, and two years after I'm launching a third location, I would have gone, you're crazy. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. God will renew that strength. God will lead that way. God will give you what you need in that moment. And Micah says, so therefore, I wait confidently because I know that I know that I know that I know that my God will certainly hear me. We must learn to wait confidently, to lean into the goodness of God. What was it that the angel said to Mary? You see, it was the same thing that the angel said to Joseph and the same thing that they said to the shepherds. I believe that he declares that same declaration of assurance to us on a regular basis, simply saying this, do not... Be afraid. 
do not be afraid. And I looked up the word fear, and according to Wikipedia, by the way, don't use Wikipedia most of the time for any of your resources, but I like this definition. A distressing emotion induced by a perceived threat. That's what fear is. It's allowing yourself to create a potential false narrative in the midst of the wait. Let me say that again. It's allowing yourself to create a potential false narrative. We call that worst-case scenarioitis, right? We, we suddenly just jump into that worst case. Oh, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. And God says, hold on. Hold on. Fear not. Just trust me. Fear and joy cannot live in the same heart. Fear and clear thinking cannot live in the same body. Fear and confidence cannot coexist. Why is that? Because never has fear cured a disease. Never has fear brought a family out of poverty. Never has fear won a war. Fear has never restored a marriage. So where do we turn when fear sets in? As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I I wait confidently on God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. That's the words of Micah. And like Mary, we must learn to turn and lean into the assurance of God. Every promise in this word is for us today. God is always there. God will supply your needs. You are a victor in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. My God will never abandon you. He will never forsake you, but he will always pave the way in front of you as you lean in to him. In God, we can have assurance if and only if we'll accept it. Mary, in the midst of her confusion, in the midst of her self-inflicted fear, had to make a choice. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Fear not, I bring to you good news favored one. Mary probably was sitting there going, I don't understand any of this. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Here's what I want you to grab a hold of. Therefore, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have, come on, look at that. It didn't say will have, but can have. Why does it say can have? Because you have a choice to make. The Bible says, man, you can trust in God, his promise and his oath, 
They're the same. God can't lie. Therefore, you have at your disposal, you have in front of you, you have a choice to make. Will you accept his assurance or not? Those that have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. I ask the question again, what is it you're treasuring in the weights? What this is saying is as we are moving toward him in the midst of his weight, in the midst of our weight, we have at our disposal a great confidence as we cling to the hope that is found in Jesus. So Mary, in this moment, had a choice. Would she lean into God or embrace the fear? I want to look at three areas of assurance very quickly. This is where we see Mary. The first is this, even when we don't feel adequate. I'm certain that Mary sitting there as a, a teenage girl, she felt pretty inadequate. Didn't feel worthy to be chosen. I mean, if the, the Savior of the world is going to come, why would he come to a peasant girl? Why wouldn't he go to somebody in royalty? Why wouldn't he go to somebody with major skill, somebody with great leadership qualities? No, 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 no. He finds this teenage girl, this peasant girl, and says, hey, you're favored. Yet Mary probably sees herself and says, I don't know that I can even fulfill this role. Maybe that's where you find yourself, just needing someone just to look at you and say, you can do this. You can do this. Maybe you don't feel worthy of God's assurance. Maybe you see all of the shortcomings and you don't feel that you can measure up. I want you to know it's not up to you. Come on, look at that. It's not up to you. God has already chosen you. It's not like God said, okay, angels, I want you to go down and talk to Mary, and if that doesn't work out, I want you to go down three blocks, turn to the right, and there's another house. Go to that person. <laughs> Mary was choice A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Go on down the line. Mary was a choice. Can I just tell you God's chosen you? God has a plan and a purpose. The book of Jeremiah says he has a plan for you to prosper you for hope and a future, not for destruction. Lean into the assurance of God even when you don't feel adequate. Begin to rest in him. The second is this, even when you're unsure. That's where I was 20-something years ago. Young lad out of college, my world had just been turned upside down and I had no idea what to do. And I'm at that pew on the stage crying out to God, not even sure how things would turn out, not even sure that it was even possible. Was I even equipped? Could I even do this? Unsure of what the outcome will be. I want you to know, again, it doesn't matter what you think. God has a plan. 
Mary cried out, God, whatever you want, let all these things that you've said about me come true. Are you brave enough to pray that prayer today? God, whatever you say, God, I make myself available to you. And the third is this, even when we're scared. Have you ever been scared to do what God's calling you to do? Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? God gives us that directive. He, he gives us that, that calling, something that we need to do and we're, we're just not sure. For Mary, no doubt she had a lot of questions. What's Joseph going to say? That's a big thing. How do you explain? Um, so Joseph, by the way, there weren't phones, but pretend with me. Joseph, hey, I just want to let you know that the angel of the Lord just came by. It was a really cool conversation. Um, just to let you know, I'm pregnant. Yeah, no, there's not another guy. No, it's, 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 it's Jesus. It's, it's the Messiah. Yeah, like the Holy Spirit. Like, I get, yeah, this baby, and it's going to be awesome, and he's come to save the world. Come on. What's Joseph going to say? What's mom and dad going to say? Mary, you okay in there? I'm fine. I'm just talking to the angel of the Lord. I'll be out in a moment. All's good. What will those around her say, her friends? There's a list, a myriad of lists, probably a mile high of questions that Mary had. Maybe that's where you find yourself scared to open up, scared to step forward, scared to be obedient to the things of God because you're afraid of what somebody else is going to say. You're not really sure what's going to happen, how this is going to work. Falling into this perceived threat, the fear of the unknown. Mary had to find herself in the place of resting in the assurance, the positive declaration of God, not in self. Because I'm telling you what, if you begin to lean upon self and rest in self, it's not going to work, right? Anybody in the house ever try to do things in your own ability? Like three of us, including the toddler in the back. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, we, we try things on our own because we're like, I can do this, especially guys. Ladies, I can't think like you. I don't even understand how you process things. But for us guys, we're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, I mean, I have been on times, I remember years ago, I was on staff at a church and we remodeled a building. It was an old car dealership and I got put on the lift and my responsibility was to cut out the old piping in the ceiling that contained all the fluids that they used in the shop, right? So I'm up there with a hacksaw uh, and, a, and a sawzall, and I'm cutting through these pipes, and fluid is draining down on me, and it's pouring onto the ground to the point that I can't move on the lift, so people are pushing that lift around, right? And then I'm like, okay, well, here's the next problem. I've got to cut down some lights, but I can't get to them because there's an air-conditioned unit, so what do I do? By the way, do not try this at home. I climbed on the top rail of that lift, steadied myself, leaned up against that ductwork, and began to go to work. Yeah, OSHA would not have been proud. But I was like, I got to do this, right? I'm happy to tell you that worked out. That could have been bad. 
They had pictures of that, I think, for proof. But anyway, we try things on our own. We try things in our own ability that aren't always the smartest. And God says, if you'll just lean upon me, if you'll just rest in me, we cannot begin to lean upon self, but we must begin to lean into the assurance of God. The second treasure that I see in Mary's story here is this, the grace of God. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, let me help you understand uh, what was happening there. Um, In the Bible time, in Jewish tradition, um, a Jewish marriage had three basic steps. Number one, families would agree upon the union. You say, okay, so your son can marry my daughter, and this is how this is going to work, and this is how the the contract's going to lay out, and it's going to be awesome, so here's the agreement. The second was a public announcement. This would have been similar to um, our engagement, except it was a little stronger than, than our engagement. In order to break off an engagement, one of two things had to happen. Somebody had to die. That's pretty big, right? No? That's pretty big. Uh, The second would be divorce. So an engagement was pretty serious uh, situation. And the third was the actual marriage. This is where they begin to live together and begin a family. Mary and Joseph had found themselves at the second stage. So the only way for Joseph to get out of this agreement would have been a divorce. He had no choice, right? After all, that's not his baby. Her being pregnant was a a social no-no, major problem in that culture. Practical and potential issues, challenges. Joseph had the right to divorce her according to the law. The authorities could have gone as far as stoning Mary because of this relationship this perceived idea of how she became pregnant. But I'm happy to tell you something happened. God's grace stepped in. God's grace stepped in. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. As he considered this, talking about Joseph, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. Come on, look at that. That's a directive Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Once again, I love when God shows up in our lives. He shows up with grace and mercy. It was Paul that cried out for grace. He cried out for for healing in his body. And God said this, my grace is sufficient. It's all that you need in your life. It's all that Mary needed in that moment. She just needed God's grace and his mercy. Maybe that's the treasure that you need. Finally, look at our third treasure, the greatness of God. When God gets involved, he does things in a major, grand-scale, majestic way. That was much the scene when Jesus arrived into the world. Angels begin to appear to everyone, shepherds, 
singing not just one angel, but a host of angels singing praises in heaven. Soon a star grabs the attention of the wise men. They begin a two-year trek to find Jesus. We talked about that last week. That's the pursuits in the wait. We read in Luke chapter 2, we read it earlier today, that the shepherds had quite an experience with the angels. The skies opened up, the angelic choir began singing praises, announcing the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. They, too, set out on this journey to find Jesus. Verse 16 and 17 says this. They, the, the, the shepherds, hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about them, about the child. Mary heard all that they said and hid these things in her heart. She treasured them. Every step of the way of this nine-month Christmas planning, Mary set these treasures aside, held on to them, and returned to them often. What about you? Are you allowing the things of God to be stored up as a treasure in your life? Because Matthew chapter 6 says it this way, for where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. Where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. What are you clinging to? What are you treasuring? What are you holding on to? I want to encourage you this Christmas season, begin to treasure the things of God and like Mary, hold on to them and let them be a regular part of your life. I'm here to tell you that in the midst of this wait, Jesus will be faithful to meet you there. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. So I encourage you today, rest in his assurance Rest in his grace. Rest in the greatness of God. Would you pray with me? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.